Good morning, Connect. Thanks so much for joining us online this morning for our service. It's great to have you with us. Uh, I'd like to start out this morning by asking a question of all of you, wherever you are this morning, wherever you're watching. And the question I'd like to ask is, what are you doing? What are you doing? If you're a parent here this morning, you've probably asked that question many times of your kids. The question, what are you doing? And depending on what they're doing will depend on uh, the way in which you ask that question. If they're doing their homework, making their bed, brushing their teeth, it's going to be a fairly low key. What are you doing? It may be a surprise. What are you doing when you see that they're actually brushing their teeth without having to be told to do so? But sometimes the question will be asked in a much more dramatic way, maybe even screamed, what are you doing? Normally, when it's asked like that, the answer is something like, I'm just making slime. And your kitchen table is just covered with the biggest mess you can imagine. What about if the answer was, I was just seeing if the cat could swim. What are you doing? I was just putting on makeup. I was just cutting my hair. All of these can elicit a very loud and screaming, what are you doing? When you catch your kids doing something like that. I can remember once when my daughter Emma was a lot younger, she was in preschool, and uh, her and a little friend of hers from preschool were in the driveway, and I could see they were behind my car, and as I started to walk around back behind the car to see what they were up to, I could see that they were way too close to the car, and I'm like, what are you doing? And Emma, my little preschool Emma, she turned to me, she said, Daddy, I'm coloring in the circles. You can see from this picture that she'd taken a rock from her, our landscaping and she was coloring in the circles on the back of my car. Bless her. It was at that moment I realized that as a dad of a daughter that she was going to get away with anything in her life because I was just like, oh, as she scratched away on the back of my car. You know, this week we're going to take a look at uh, a guy by the name of James, and we're going to find out that he asked the early church the exact same question. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's the question James asked these first Christians. It's the question we're going to look at today, and it's the question we're going to ask ourselves as well. You see, we're in a series called Build the Church. And we're, we're looking specifically at a letter that a guy by the name of James wrote. Now, James was the stepbrother of Jesus. So we know before we even start reading that this is a guy who spent time with Jesus, who knew Jesus, who understood his teaching. So I'm really going to tune in very closely to what James has to say because you know that he's been very close to Jesus. And James is writing, you know, to uh, some brand new Christians. These would have been the Jews who uh, were now following Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And he's writing this letter to them because they're scattered all over the Roman Empire. You see, they'd come under uh, incredible persecution right there in Jerusalem. So rather than stay and face that persecution, they kind of scatter to the surrounding areas. 
And as they were trying to regather and as the church was trying to grow, James writes a letter to all of these scattered Jews all over the place to to share some wisdom, to share some insight on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I think it's kind of ironic that we're starting out this series as a scattered church ourselves. You're watching right now from your home or from somewhere here locally, somewhere spread out, because because of COVID-19, we are right now the scattered church. So what better letter to look at than the letter that James wrote to the scattered church 2,000 years ago? We're going to discover over the coming weeks that this letter is full of some incredibly practical and wise advice. And this morning we're going to focus in on on one of those pieces of wisdom that James uh, was talking about here. And we can find it in James chapter 2 verse 14. James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? So immediately as James has written this, this first couple of lines in this first portion of this this letter that he's writing he has their attention he's grabbed their attention when he says can that kind of faith save anyone and and here's why he's grabbed their attention so quickly he's coming up against one of the universal truths that that every single follower of Jesus wherever they found themselves uh, scattered around the Roman Empire would have held to be true You see, there were a few fundamental things that that everyone, every follower of Jesus agreed on. Jesus was the Son of God. All the followers of Jesus believed this. Jesus died and rose again. They they all followed this. This this went without saying. This was the truth. Another was that salvation is by grace through faith. To be saved, it's through grace by faith, and, and all the followers of Jesus would believe this. Paul had taught this. And what that means, what Paul is, is teaching here through that, is that uh, what it means to be a Christian is that there's nothing the individual, nothing that person can do themselves to be saved. They could never be good enough, they could never not do enough things wrong. So Jesus had to come and die in their place. And now through a relationship with Jesus, through repenting and and following Jesus, we can be saved. That's what grace is. It's Jesus coming and giving his life in our place. And then the faith element is choosing to believe that. So Paul would explain that, that we have to have faith that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he said he did. And by faith, we choose to believe that. And that is how we are saved. In fact, Paul talked about that very clearly when he was writing to a church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So this is like a universal truth that every follower of Jesus held to be true. And James starts out this conversation with this controversial proposal that what if faith alone can't save you? So immediately he's got their attention because it sounds like he's kind of contradicting what Paul has been saying. 
He goes on to explain what he means by this in verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. A couple of verses later in verse 19, he says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So James is challenging the followers of Jesus here, and he's using some logic here. He's saying, hey, it's, it's great that you've got faith, and it's great that you believe, but if that's all you've got, that's not enough, because even the demons believe this. He's saying, don't claim to be a Christ follower just because you believe in God. Being a follower of Jesus has to be more than just believing in God. And I think the, tr- the very same is true today. I mean, think about it. If it was just believing in God, there has to be more to that. In fact, in 2017, Gallup did a poll here in America to find out how many people actually believed in God. They asked the question to Americans, do you believe in God? Do you want to know how many people said yes? 87%. It's just three years ago, 2017, 87%, almost 9 in 10 Americans, said that they believed in God. So if that's all it took to be a follower of Jesus, when you turn on the news, when you turn on social media, when you look at the world around us, I think I'd expect to see something a lot different than I actually see. Because when I look at the world around me, it doesn't look like 90% of people are followers of Jesus, are living their lives following Jesus. But apparently, almost 90% believe in God. So this is what James is talking about here. He says there's there's got to be more than just believing in God. In fact, James is just basically asking the question that we started out this morning with, and he's saying to to the people he's writing to, that's cool that you believe, but what are you doing? What are you doing? Beyond just Believing. It's great the way he writes. You can, you can read this in chapter 2 if you go verse by verse. And he kind of lays it out almost like a, a lawyer would in a courtroom, just kind of step by step, fact by fact. And he even uses a, an opportunity to preempt an argument that they may have. In verse 18, he says, Now someone may argue. Some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, James responds, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. See, James is so clever here because he knows who he's writing to. So he's already addressing the arguments that he knows he will get back. He's addressing those people who say, well... Think about it though, James. There are some people who are just known for their faith. And then there are some people who are known for their good deeds. Some are good at knowing and some are good at doing. 
You see, James understands his audience. James is writing to uh, people who had grown up in the Jewish faith, who had now stepped into a brand new relationship with Jesus, but they still brought with them all of their Jewish traditions and culture. And the Jews as a whole, they had a little bit of a reputation for knowing a lot for knowing a lot about the the Bible, for knowing a lot about the Old Testament, for knowing a lot about the teachings of Moses. and I mean, think about it. Do you remember when Jesus was alive and walking on earth? A lot of the um, challenges he faced was with Jewish people, with religious leaders, with Pharisees. Those are the ones he kind of bumped heads with the most. And the reason being, we read time and time again, is because he said, you, you seem to know a lot. You know everything that needs to be known, but you don't practice it. You don't live it out in your lives. So James knows that even though these Jews have now become followers of Jesus, they can't help themselves but be people who, if I have to lean one way more than the other, I'm going to lean to, the, to how much I know, the knowledge side of things. And James says, that's great to have knowledge, but, but you've got to be doing also. Now, I would imagine that when the people read James's letter for the very first time, and maybe you this morning as I'm speaking, they struggled with it a little bit because on the one hand, they understood that Paul had taught what I read earlier in Ephesians, that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. So, The reason we are followers of Jesus isn't because of anything we've done, any good deeds at all. It is simply by faith and faith alone. And now James is saying, faith isn't enough. Where are your good deeds? What are you doing? So surely these two contradict each other. Is Paul right? Is Paul wrong? Is James right? Is James wrong? What I think you're going to find this morning is that neither one of them is wrong. They don't contradict each other. They actually hold each other in balance. Let me explain. So I've got a little bit of a balancing bar here, kind of a little seesaw guy here. So I hope you can see that. Okay, so we've got Paul's teaching. So Paul is teaching uh, a lot, especially in Ephesians, but in other letters he writes as well, that it's by grace we've been saved, that there's no amount of work that we can do. It's simply by faith. That's all we need. That's what Paul teaches. And now along comes James and says, hey, faith's not enough. You've got to do stuff. You've got to get out there and, and show you're a follower by the things that you do, your deeds. Faith without deeds is dead. So who's right? Well... What if they're both right? What if what Paul says is it's by faith that we've been saved, it's our faith in Jesus that we become followers of Jesus, but James is right as well. (laughs) It's about balance, and it's going to balance. Yes, it's about faith and accepting Jesus, but not faith alone. There's also what faith inspires us to do. And I think the reason that both what Paul teaches and what James teaches work together is because they're looking at the whole picture. 
Paul's talking to people who don't yet know Jesus, who might think, well, I want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to work really hard, I'm going to do lots of good things, and I'm going to try and be the best I can, and hopefully I'll do enough to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're watching this morning, and you're thinking, I wish I could be good enough to be a Christian. I wish I could be good enough to follow Jesus. And Paul says, you don't have to be good enough. It's by faith that you've been saved. Jesus paid the price for you. Jesus was good enough so that all you need is faith. And then James is saying, but once you've become a follower of Jesus, that same faith, if you do nothing, you're missing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The very same faith that brought you to him is the faith that should inspire you and drive you to want to live your life for him, to do these good deeds. They hold each other in balance. I'm going to move this now because I know it's going to drop at some point. You see, I think what James is teaching was, was a shock to some of the people he was reading. But as they thought about it more, they started to realize that this all holds itself in balance. It's no good just to believe. We must do something with what we believe. So what does that mean to us today? Paul, uh, sorry, James was writing to Jewish Christians throughout the Roman Empire, but as we read it today in our Build the Church series, how does that impact our lives today? Well, I think it's simple, really. I think it goes back to the very question I asked you at the very beginning. What are you doing? What are you doing? If you're watching online this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, it's, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's awesome. You believe in Jesus and you want to follow him, that's brilliant. But as James said, even the demons believe. If you're watching online this morning, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And that's great that you want to grow in your faith. But what are you doing outside of just spending some time in church once a week. James gave us a little idea earlier, didn't he, of what what we could be doing, what we should be doing. Verse 15, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? He gives us an idea right there. He doesn't just say we should be doing good deeds. He gives us a very clear idea of something we could be doing here. It's more than just being aware that there are problems in the world in which we live. It's more than being aware of situations around us saying, I'm so sorry that's happening. I'll pray for you, sending you best wishes. He's saying, no, as a follower of Jesus, my faith drives me to do something about that. To do more than just wish you well, but to actually do something to make a difference. There's a couple who live here in Washington, and uh, the Hermans, they attend another church here in Washington. About seven or eight years ago, they were really stirred as they became aware of the fact that there were single mums in our community and surrounding areas who were struggling didn't have a place to go, were trying to raise children, maybe didn't have a home, possibly living out of their cars, looking for shelters, and they, they wanted to do more than just pray about it. They wanted to do more than just wish them well. 
And this opportunity opened up. Actually, her sister's house became available, and they decided that she wanted to use my sister's house to make a difference. They talk a little bit about that in a video. Check this out. My sister actually did live in that home. She died at 56 years old due to some um, congestive heart failure due to uh, diabetes. The bank <clears throat> was getting ready to call a loan. There was a small mortgage on it. And, uh, we had been praying about some opportunity that we could serve the community and we bought the house. Uh, two years of construction and 85 volunteers and lots of people donating money and resources to help us get that house uh, to where it is today. Um, we had took our first client um, probably in 2015, I believe. So basically it was just reaching out to who we felt in the community was the least of these, the children and the single moms to help give them a, a leg up in order to be able to go out into the community with uh, resources as far as like jobs, better jobs, because they have, were able to stay there for no fee and get an education to get a better job, to take care of their children better and to not be dependent so much on the government. So a small group was like, wanted to do something in the community that would make a difference in their community. So they reached out to us because they knew that we were a ministry that was just getting started and said, hey, we've never done this before, but how about we do a pancake and sausage supper? Well, I can just tell you that that has been such a blessing. This is our main thing. This is the where we get a lot of support and we serve so many people coming through. It's just, it's a wonderful event. Be sure to go to our website because there it will tell everything. Um, you can click on um, who we serve, um, what our rules are, our handbook, all of that. And it's www.mysistershse.org. So you may have driven by that house and had no idea that it was even here in Washington. It's just the other side of the square as you're heading out towards Eureka on the left before you get to Casey's. That house is there, and that couple are using that to impact the lives of mums and children in the name of Jesus. That's what it means to build the church. That's what James is talking about. It's more than just wishing well. It's, it's doing something about it. This may seem like something very small to you this morning, but there's something you can do this morning to help build the church. So we've had these T-shirts made and these hats made. And the reason we did it, you'll see on the front of the hat, it says build. And we're hoping that one of the reasons that you'll buy one of these shirts or these hats is that when someone asks you, oh, what are you building? You can say, well, actually, I'm building the church. And they'll say, what do you mean? Is it going under construction? And you can say, no. Let me explain what it really means to build the church. It's being Jesus in our community outside of a Sunday morning. That's what it looks like to build the church. But the other reason is that all the proceeds that we get from selling these t-shirts and these hats, they're all going to go towards helping the ministry of my sister's house. You see, earlier this year, they had a big annual pancake supper planned. This is what they do every year to raise funds for this awesome ministry. And because of COVID-19, they had to cancel it. When we heard about this, we thought, we want to do something about that. We want to help this organization. So every t-shirt, every hat that we sell, 
all the profits will go to help that organization. So if you want to buy a hat, if you want to buy a shirt, you can go to connectwashington.org forward slash build and learn much more about that. But I wonder if for some of you this morning, God's tugging at your heart and it's something a little bit more than just buying a shirt or buying a hat. As I've been talking about the difference between knowing and doing, maybe you're going to ask that question yourself today. Ask that question as you pray this week. Jesus, what could I be doing? What could I be doing? You may be doing something for him already, and that's awesome. Maybe you need to be asking and praying, Jesus, what more could I be doing? Not because what you will do will get you any closer to God, will make him love you. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more than he already loves you right now. He loves you so much this morning. Whether you've made that decision to follow him or not, he still loves you so much. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. But I hope that as you get that realization of just how much he does love you, that it just fills you with this desire to say, I want to do something. I'm so amazed that he loves me that much that I want to do something to share that love with others. I want to spread that love. I want to impact others for him this morning. I'm excited that in just a few weeks, we'll be gathering here together again, July 12th. We plan on meeting again Sunday mornings in person. You'll hear more about the uh, specifics of that in the next week or two, but I'm looking forward to that. But let's not forget that we're not just two weeks from being the church again. We're the church now. Because it's more than just gathering on a Sunday morning. It's what we do Monday through Sunday in our workplace, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We can still be building the church. So let me just finish this morning by asking that question one more time. What are you doing? Let's pray. Father, as we're going to find over the coming weeks, Lord, James is just so full of so much practical and insightful wisdom. And so much of it is going to challenge us as followers. Because it's going to force us to ask questions. And, and as we begin this series, this very first question, what are we doing? Because James said that you say you have faith, but without deeds, I say your faith is dead. Our faith, our desire to follow you should inspire us to want to do something with our lives. Do something in our community. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that this wouldn't be difficult for us that we wouldn't have to work hard to figure out what we should be doing. That like that couple who were sat in church and that idea dropped into their hearts to, to create a space, a house where young mums could come, that, that you'll show us, Lord, what our idea is. It could be something small, it could be something big, it could be any size, Lord, but it's our idea. Show us, Lord, what we could be doing because I know you've got great plans and great ideas for every one of us. So this week, I pray, answer that question across this community, across this country, and across this world. Everyone who's listening in right now, Lord, speak to them and answer the question when they ask you, Jesus, what could I be doing? Thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thanks so much for being with us this morning, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here as we continue on talking about what it looks like to build a church. See you next Sunday.